I want to invite you to take your Bibles, if you've not done so already, your Bibles, your devices, even you can feel free to take your hand out if you'd like to do that. It's on the back. But if you would go with me this morning to Psalm 139, this is a passage I just want to bring up briefly. Uh, you know when you read a passage and memories flood into your mind from past? I'll tell you what, when I read through this passage, memories flood into my mind from when I was a junior in college. I remember the specific time, actually. Came home from college on, on winter break, Christmas time, and God led me to this passage. And for the entire Christmas break, I couldn't get away from this passage, reading it over and over and over and over again. And God knew that's exactly what I needed for that time period in my life. And regularly, God brings me back to this passage. I am thrilled to study it this morning. There's a couple different reasons. One of them is because what I believe David is going through when he writes this passage uh, the setting of his life that we'll see at the end of the passage, it comes out. The context is very clearly seen. We don't know exactly when in David's life this was written, but the context comes out by his prayer to God. So we'll look at that in just a minute, but before we even do that, think with me if you would, in just maybe a couple moments of contemplation, what about the last three months? What do you think of all of this stuff that's happening? What comes into your mind? I mean, have you found yourself, maybe along with me, maybe every single day, just shaking your head, thinking, what is going on? I mentioned this a minute ago, but you dare to turn on the news or to read a news, you know, I, I enjoy reading uh, portions, articles from, you know, the New York Times or even the Los Angeles Times or the Washington Post and find myself reading different newspapers and different articles, turning on the news at times and seeing different perspectives. And I have to turn it off and just shake my head sometimes thinking, what is happening? I mean, I mean if we think about just the last three months, of our existence on this globe. I mean, what am I talking about? Well, we've got this thing. <laughs> COVID-19. I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen this little sphere with these ugly little things coming out of it. COVID-19, a huge hysteria for so many people, a, titled a global pandemic by those who supposedly know best. And now, you know, Yes, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But here's what we're talking about. We are talking very clearly of countless press conferences and releases. All kinds of stats that are agonized over every single day. Restrictions, guidelines, in the midst of political banter going back and forth all over this little sphere. Supposed millions who have been infected Supposed millions who will possibly die, as we were told. Basically this. I mean, I've been thinking a lot about this. We have a mass fear of this. Think about the last three months, how globally all human beings, almost all human beings have responded to the fear of this. 
going into a coffin and going into the ground. This fear factor, I mean, I, I like MMA wrestling. And I look at this fear factor as this like ginormous chokehold on our entire culture, just squeezing the life out of us with this fear. I mean, and I don't want to be disingenuous in any way to those who have family members or maybe in, in your own life that you've struggled through this. This is a real, real fear for some, but at the same time, this is a created fear for so many globally. In the last three months, we've watched the persuasions of our own hearts when it comes to fear of death, how we respond to even the mention of death and the numbers of death. What has this done to our economy? Just think about what this has done. I mean, this is not a political speech in any way. No, this is just general observation about this economic implosion that's happened the last couple months. We're talking about the rapid unraveling of seemingly stable U.S. economy or the global market just unraveling before our eyes because of this fear. I mean, what about this? I'm going to tell you, my heart has groaned. I mean, I have shed tears the last month over some things, and particularly what we see up here. Our hearts are crying out for justice. The gross misuse of power and the mishandling of justice, the mistreatment of individuals who are made in the image of God, my heart has been agonizing over this. At the same time, this. <laughs> Looting, stealing, destroying, murder, ironically, all in the name of what? Justice. Blows my mind. Shooting and stabbing of law enforcement officers in the name of justice. Civilians dying because they're standing in the way of tantrums. And, and honestly, I know there's, there's a lot of persuasions in this room. A lot of different opinions. I mean, if you want to have a healthy conversation, open it up for five minutes about what you see out there. I get the chance to just talk about it. <laughs> More of a monologue style today. But honestly, when you look at what's happening around us, our hearts cry. They cry out. The atrocities going on around us. I put up here a black screen on purpose, not because of what it's meant recently, but because of where our culture is right now. I mean, take this into perspective. Since the beginning of the year, we're talking about January, in the United States alone, the number is estimated 250,000. Hey, what are you talking about? I'm talking about baby human beings that have been slaughtered. There's so much more we can talk about but the atrocities of life around us. I found myself on several different occasions this week just shaking my head. Oh Lord, what is happening right now? Maybe you found yourself along with me crying, how long will this continue, oh Lord? 
Maybe you found yourself crying, how long will you allow your rebellious creations to hold a fist in your holy face and selfishly satisfy the destruction of their own flesh? Destroying themselves, living in opposition. It's clear opposition to how God intended those made in his image to live. We're standing with fists in God's face, and my cry often is, God, how long will this go on? How long will this happen? And I find myself, and maybe you're with me, I find myself trying to analyze, and what happens is I end up pointing fingers. I'm going to tell you, that's why this passage today is so appropriate for us. If you have felt any of that that I just explained, and maybe you haven't, maybe you've tried to be somewhat aloof to all of that, but maybe you've felt some of that recently. If you have felt any of that, I want to say we are in good company with David in Psalm 139. This man who is overwhelmed with what's happening around him, this man who, who, who doesn't quite know how to respond to what's happening around him. In fact, I mean, I'm just going to jump ahead. Let's take a sneak peek. Would you look with me at verses 19 and 20 of Psalm 139? Let's get a sneak peek into where David is in this scenario. What is the cry of his heart? And maybe you felt similarly. Here's David through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in this blessed psalm, one we go to often to remind ourselves about the attributes of God. Here is his heart cry. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. You read through that and you're like, whoa, 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 what? I mean, obviously we know our place in redemptive history we talked about last time. A lot's happened since the 2,500 years that this was written. Primarily what we talk about with the cross of Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that more at the end. But nonetheless, this is the real heart cry of a worshiper of God. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. Oh, men of blood, depart from me. And then he cries out to God. He says, they speak against you with malicious intent. Have you thought about that this week? The freedoms people have to speak openly against a holy God. He says this, your enemies take your name in vain. Oh, there's so much packed into that one phrase. I mean, we're not just talking about you know, cussing or using God's name occasionally when you hit your hand with, the, you know, with your hammer. That's not what we're talking about here. Maybe part of it. We're talking about people that have a gross misunderstanding of God. The very name of a holy God, and they just take it and throw it under the bus. And I don't know about you, but again, my heart goes out and I start saying, I wish that person would be different. I wish that person would do this different. I wish we could have justice there. And I wish that person would stop saying that. Or this person would stop maybe tweeting that. <laughs> or this person would do this. Or this person would stand up and say this. And my heart starts start doing this. And I love this passage, and it's so appropriate because in the midst of all of this, God Almighty leads David to this. Would you look with me at verse 1? Oh Lord, You have searched me. You have known me. 
and the mass of all of this stuff happening, God Almighty leads David to search his own heart. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is what God has been doing in, in my heart. All of these troubles I see with the world around us, and God is saying, Andrew, where's your heart before me? I mean, you jump to the end of this. Well, let me just read verses 1 through 6, and then we'll jump to the end. Would you look with me at verses 1 through 6? Verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and you know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts afar, from afar. You search out my plan and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Here's his response. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain to it. Would you look with me down at verses 23 and 24? The heart cry of a man who is troubled with what he sees around him, but is overwhelmed with who God is. Here's his cry. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me, grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. What is this? What is this beautiful chapter? We're going to take the next three weeks and we're going to walk through different portions of Psalm 139, examining our hearts before the Lord. In a broken world with all of these atrocities just mentioned and so many others, what is our response? Our response is, God, you are so big, and God, I am so blessed. God, I need you. God, search my heart before you. So, if you see at the top of this, Psalm 139, you see this very clearly. It's to the choir master. This is a psalm of David. So we looked at another psalm of David last week, one of the psalms of ascent. This week we're going to look at another psalm of David meant to be sung. I love this. All of these meant to be sung. Before we even talk about that, though, this again is a psalm of David. David, the shepherd, the warrior, the king. We're talking about David the sinner. We're talking about David, the repenter. We're talking about David, a man after God's own heart, the worshiper of God. We're talking about David, who many times in his life went through times of intense opposition. And that's why we can't really pinpoint when this was written. Whether it was before he took on the throne and he was promised the throne, but he wasn't quite in the throne, whether when his life was pursued, whether it was when he was actually in the throne, or maybe later on in his life when his own beloved people started attacking him and trying to kill him. We don't know when it was in his life, but we know there was some grievous things happening in David's life when he wrote this. Things were going on around his life, and he was like, what is going on, O oh Lord? Give me grace. So, this is a psalm that is meant to be sung. I absolutely love this. So we just sang a couple songs. Come, Christians, join to sing. You know, that's, that's biblical. That was a song written back in the mid-1800s, as Grant mentioned. This is a song we can sing wholeheartedly. Come, sing. Let's sing praise to the Lord. Well, that's directly from Scriptures. 
Uh, by the way, I was sharing with the elder team this week. Uh, we sang this at a church I was at in the past, and I was actually emailing out our, our songs for the week, and we were looking through them. I sent out this song, and one of the pastoral guys sent me back and said, Pastor, we really can't sing that song. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, I had left off the G on the end of the song. Come Christians join to sin. <laughs> so every time we sing that song, Grant, I think come Christians join to sin. No, don't come to sin. Come to sing. We sing praise to Almighty God. This is biblical. We were talking other, other times this week. I mean, we don't know exactly when David was doing this, whether he was a shepherd or, or whenever, but this song was coming from his heart. This psalm that we're studying right now is an overflow of his heart. Just like Colossians in the New Testament of our scriptures tells us that we are to do as a new covenant church. Here's what Colossians 3.16 says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, I love this, in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to the Lord. Hey, this is biblical. And what David does is he sort of sets this precedence. How do we get deep theological truths to stick in our brains? We sing them. We put the words to song and we sing them heartily. Well, this is indication that David did this. I want to just mention this, and we'll get into this chapter. This is beautiful poetry. Sometimes we fly through these psalms, and we don't realize how beautiful the Hebrew poetry actually is. And I'm not going to dig too deeply into it this morning, but if you would notice, I, on the back of your handout, I designated it into four sections. These are known as stanzas or strophes. David, when he's writing this in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is writing these with different themes in mind. When he writes the first six verses, he is meditating on the knowledge of God. This is his omniscience. That's what we're talking about today. When he writes the next six verses, which by the way, the, the verse designations didn't come until 2,500 years after he wrote it, but I think they did a really good job designating it, seeing the themes. The next six verses, we're focusing on what? It's the presence of Almighty God. He's everywhere present. And you go to the third section that we're going to look at in three weeks. He's talking about the fact that God is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. And what does David do? He takes these sections and highlights different attributes of God. And then you're like, okay, well, what about that last section? The last section is awesome. Why? Because David highlights the justice of God, and he simply says, this is my resolve to live differently because of the attributes of God. So what are we going to do? The next three weeks, we're going to highlight these sections, and we're going to jump to the end every Sunday and sympathize with David's resolve. His resolve today is, search me, O God, and know my heart. We're going to get there. But when we analyze this, we got to realize this is, this is awesome. The structure that the Holy Spirit is beautiful. It's not just David sitting down being like, ah, oh, we could do this and this and this and this. No, this is, a, this is an intentional song by David. I love this too, and I'll mention this part of the poetry. In Hebrew poetry, not dissimilar to many of our uh, uh, ways of speaking here in literature, but or reading or writing literature, but there's this there's this poetic um, device called mirrorism. I don't know if you know what this is, but here's what it is. I'm going to bring up one extreme and the other extreme. 
And as they bring up one extreme and the other extreme, I'm going to include everything in the middle. I want you to open your eyes because in this passage, David does that so many times. He mentions one extreme, and then right away in the next phrase, he mentions another extreme. And then he makes a comment that includes everything in the middle. That's how David speaks in this psalm. When we look at this psalm today, we want to focus on the first six verses, and we want to focus on this key idea today. This thought. We want to make this very practical. I mean, there's, there's no use in studying a passage of Scripture if we can't make it practical to where we're at right now. Here it is. Through the unrest of the world around us, we must find security in the depths of God's knowledge about us. I'll read that one more time. Through the unrest of the world around us, we must find deep security in the depths of God's knowledge about us. What are we talking about? Well, I want to just unpack these six verses. Verse 1, we're going to see this. God's knowledge is personal. I love this. God's knowledge is personal. In other words, God, this God, doesn't just know things generally. You ever thought about this? This God doesn't just know things generally. He is a personal, relational God. Those going through trials right now, whether you're older in your life and you're looking back, I know there's several we've been praying through for health reasons. Um, and you're looking at your life and you're thinking, well, I know God knows the end from the beginning. I know God knows what's happening in the world, but sometimes we lose sight of the fact that God knows exactly what I'm going through right now. I want to make this personal to teens in this room right now. Some of you are looking around and you're thinking, I have to grow up in this world? Really? I mean, you're looking around and you see your politicians just fighting each other every day. And you're trying to figure out who to trust. And this whole justice thing. I want to tell you this. God knows what you are going through right now, teenager. Young person. Elementary school person. You're trying to figure out if this Jesus, this God is worth worshiping the rest of your life. I want to tell you, God knows exactly what you're going through right now. Young one. God knows what you're going through. Can we see that in this passage? One through six, I'll read it one more time, but this time when I read through it, feel free to circle or highlight or underline all of the personal pronouns. And we're going to see how personal God's love is, God's knowledge is for us. Let's just go through one verse at a time. He says this, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts afar off, from afar. You search my path and my lying down and aren't acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. I mean, wow. David's not just looking up at this pie in the sky thought that God is, a, you know, omniscient and he knows everything that's happening. No, this is very personal to David. 
There's some right now sitting in this room, you're like, all this stuff I'm going through, how can God know what I'm going through right now? Now, I'm standing here today to assure you that God knows exactly what you're going through right now. God's knowledge is incredibly, it's intentionally personal. I mean, David uses a word. He says, oh Lord, you have searched me. It's actually a really cool word. Um, It's used in other areas of the scripture for going and finding something out. Uh, As far as like going into a territory and investigating a territory. The concept is like going into a mining claim and methodically looking through that mining claim to find the quarry. The concept is I'm examining an object thoroughly. Okay, here's one of those ridiculous illustrations. Uh, when, we were, when I was going through seminary, um, God moved us on up to Wisconsin. And we had a great several years in our life. We lived up there for five and a half, six years. We were able to work at a, a college university there. I was able to work through seminary, seminary work. Uh, Hannah and I both coached uh, in the college system there, and we loved it. But there was one part about living in northern Wisconsin that I absolutely hated. Well, there's a couple things. <laughs> but one particular... And that were, those were those little creepy things that no matter where you went in the spring, you always brought them in the house. They're called ticks. I have a special phobia for ticks. We would go out on family hikes. I mean, I remember one particular hike in the spring. We just wanted to go to this reflection lake and hike around the lake. We hiked around the lake and we came home and we looked down. Our kids had jeans on and they were just swarming with ticks crawling up their legs. What do we do? Almost every night of the spring, we bring the kids in, and Hannah would pick through their hair. Hannah would look all over their bodies. We would, we would search about. We would, we would seriously investigate what was happening. We'd thoroughly check over them. Once in a while, we'd miss something, and you'd find it two days later, maybe, a little bit, you know, swollen up with that yummy stuff. By the way, it's okay right now. I see it. Go ahead and itch behind your hair. Right now, go ahead, because I know that's a temptation on everybody's heart right now. But nonetheless, when I think of searching, I think of meticulously looking into someone. I want to tell you, that's, that's what God is doing in our souls, in our hearts. He's meticulously coming through every detail in our hearts because He loves us so much. Um, this week, just overwhelmed with the thought that God knows what we are going through right now as a church. And praying as an elder team, we feel like there's so many relational aspects of ministry that have fallen through the cracks through this time. There's no way to really rightly stay in touch relationally. And this is such a relational body. Relational, relationships is the glue that brings us together. And my heart through the last 10, 11 weeks has cried out for relationships. And I know your hearts have too. But when I think about this, I think we are struggling with this. But it's not just a we, brothers and sisters in Christ. It is an I. It is a me. God knows what you are going through in your life right now. It is intensely personal. My mind runs to Jesus' words himself in Matthew chapter 6. Yes, he takes care of the lilies of the fields and the birds of the air, but he knows you. He knows me. In Matthew chapter 10, I love this. Because I was actually joking with someone this morning about this. Uh, some of us have more hair on our heads than others. 
But here's the fact of the matter. Every single one of those hairs on your head, God has them numbered. He knows every minute detail of your life, physically, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally. God searches you and knows you. He knows everything about you. And that brings us right to the next point at hand this morning, is that God's knowledge is complete. Not only is it personal, it's complete. Let's look at some of those poetic devices called mirrorisms right now. How does he say this? Well, you know when I sit down, and you know when I rise up. In other words, when I'm passively resting and when I'm actively moving. It's very practical. God, you know when I'm getting up and moving. You know when I'm not going anywhere. In fact, you discern my thoughts from afar. This is so good. Not only do you know when I'm resting or moving, but you know every purposeful decision I am making in the process. Some of you know how hard it is to get off the couch sometimes. God knows that thought. Some of you know how hard it is to say stop on one of those hard days of work when you want to get the project done. God knows that thought in your mind. God perfectly knows the motive, and this is where it goes, God perfectly knows the motivations and intentions of our hearts, our thoughts. He says this in verse 3, you know my path, you search out my path and my lying down and aren't acquainted with all my ways. It very, very similar to the previous verse. You know when I'm traveling, you know when I'm resting. And you know in my life everything in between. Everything I'm going through. One extreme, the other extreme, and everything in my way. And then here's a response of David when it comes to the complete knowledge of God. Here's what he says. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh Lord, you know it all together. You know it before I even speak a word. Have you ever thought about that? God has never said about me, Andrew, I cannot believe you said that. <laughs> I find myself saying that on occasion to some of my kids. I can't believe you said that. I'm going to tell you, that's not something that God has ever said about me or you. I can't believe you said that. He knows every word that comes out of our mouth even before we even speak them. That's how well this God knows us. It continues on. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. This is awesome. The word hem me in is like you put boundaries behind me. You put boundaries in front of me. Kind of like you fenced me in behind before. And you now are guiding me right now with your hand on me. How beautiful is that? I mean, many commentators say this is very likely. God, you know my past. You know my future. And guess what? You have your hand on the present right now. You know exactly what I'm going through right now. Intimately completely so much more we could say about this but i think the simple take takeaway today is this god doesn't know you mostly he knows you completely he knows every personality quirk about you every doubt of your heart and your mind god knows you intently um, he knows the fears that are before you right now. 
My little daughter, Emma, she's at that cute stage in her life where you can very clearly see her thought processes and her responses. Sometimes the other kids hide them pretty well, but no, she just wears them all over the place, her emotions and everything. And she has some serious fears going on in her life right now. And I don't know how to express it to her sometimes, but I look at her and I'm like, I know what you need more than you need, little girl. (laughs) I know what you need. And I'll know there's a situation where she's fearful and I watch her running in and she's like skipping. She does this little prance thing. She's running, skipping, singing. She loves to sing and talk. Um, And she comes into one of those fearful situations. You can see it written on her face, the fear factor. And I know it's going to be fearful for her. She runs back to me and there's a process. She grabs up to my hand. She did that this morning when we were about to leave. She grabs my hand. She kind of inches closer. (laughs) What's she want me to do? Pick her up. I pick her up and she buries her head in my shoulder. And then she peeks up like we're headed into that fearful situation. I'm going to tell you, what if that was how we responded to the fears in front of us with an almighty God? We buried our head in his shoulder. Why? Because he knows our fears. He knows our past. He knows our future. future, And he has his hand on our present right now. There's another way David expresses this. He says this knowledge of God is personal, this knowledge of God is complete, but this knowledge of God is overwhelming. How does David say this? Verse 6, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. Attain it. In other words, I am absolutely overwhelmed right now. I do not have the ability to grasp this. I mean, I can just see David writing this to the Spirit. My, my mind, my imagination runs sometimes as the Spirit's leading David to write this passage in song. And he's writing it and he just smiles and he smirks as he's thinking about God's knowledge of him. And he's like, oh boy, yes, I can't even understand this. And then all of a sudden he starts to sing this stanza. And then all of a sudden he goes from writing the stanza through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to singing the stanza to possibly being out in the field belting the stanza out. This is too wonderful for me. I can't attain to this knowledge of God. Sadly, um, this seems to be so opposite to how we approach theology sometimes. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes we dig into systematizing theology and we we try to wrap our minds around a system of theology and we're like oh yeah and then what happens when we think we grasp it kind of yeah our hearts are kind of crossed our arms and our chest is kind of puffed up and we're like finally understood god i'm going to tell you what is david's response here it's absolute humility god you know me intensely you know me completely and what is my response oh It is too wonderful to me. I can't even attain it. What if we approach our theology this way in absolute humility as God, you've revealed yourself to me, but God in humility, there's so much more about your infinite nature that I can even grasp. This passage and that concept of not being able to grasp the knowledge of God leads me right to a New Testament passage and maybe it's in your minds right now. In Romans chapter 11, we find a similar response from the Apostle Paul. Paul brings the New Covenant believer into the discussion of God's knowledge, and here's what he says. 
He says this in Romans 11. You can maybe write this verse down. Verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His inscrutable ways. Who has, and he quotes from Isaiah 40 that we've already seen in the last couple months. How unsearchable. Inscrutable. I love this. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? We're going to put that to song and sing that to song in just a minute. Who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? Verse 36. From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, here is the point from the first six verses of this passage. Through the unrest of the world around us, we must find security in the depths of God's knowledge about us. So what? So what? We just spent 45 minutes, almost, talking about God's precious Word. Psalm 139, verses 1-6. through So how is this going to change our lives and how we interact this week? In our homes. Maybe if you've gone back to work now in your workplace. Maybe in your neighborhood. Maybe with, with those, well, hopefully soon, on the sports field. Those you interact with on a regular basis. How is this chapter, this passage going to change our lives? And I think what we have to do is ask this question as a follow-up question. Has the realization of God's knowledge completely transformed the way I live? You say, what, what are you talking about? Well, would you notice with me the last two verses of Psalm 139? Remember how we talked about the resolve of David? Let's go to the last two verses. What does David say? Search me, O God, and know my heart. This is so good. He didn't, want just, he didn't just want God to know his outer being. Having all of the things put together on his outside. No, he said, God, search me and know me from the inside out. Search me, O God, and know my heart. The true cries of my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. That's so appropriate because so often, brothers and sisters in Christ, we like to put everything together on the outside. When we come to church, it's like, yep, you know, we've got things put together. The fact of the matter is our prayer should be, God, search me and know my heart. Know the grievous things that are going on in the depths of who I am. Every single one of us. He says this in verse uh, 24. See if there be any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. So maybe you read those two verses and you're you're like, well, hold on. Didn't we just have verse 1? Okay, he's saying, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Well, didn't verse 1 just tell us, oh, Lord, you have searched me. You have known me. Put that connection together yet? Well, what's, what's the connection here? I believe it's this. David is simply saying, God, I know you know me, but God, now I am an open book to you. God, I want to ring the same tune as you do to everything in my life. Nothing is hidden. Let me embrace your opinion about every single area of my life right now. Let me embrace your opinion of wickedness. And he 
definitely acknowledges that in the previous verses. Let me embrace your opinion of sin. Oh God, search my heart and know me. I am an open book to you. Oh God, use me for your eternal glory. By the way, I just referenced Romans 11. Maybe you wrote that down. If you would think with me to this passage, it's a well-known passage. Paul, in Romans 11, closes out 11 chapters. And there's a pretty clear a transition from 1 through 11 to 12 through 16 in the book of Romans. 1 through 11 is talking about the goodness of God and the grace of God in saving our souls. How do you, how do you summarize that? It is known as the mercies of God. And at the end of talking about the mercies of God, Paul says this, it's unsearchable. We can't even comprehend the mercies of God seen to us in the person of Jesus Christ. What is the response then of Romans 12, 1 and 2? Paul says this, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God that we just saw in the first 11 chapters, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Just talking about the overwhelming knowledge of God in the end of chapter 11. Now he's saying we present our bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God. That's your logical worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you might prove what is the good and perfect, acceptable will of God. What's our response to the overwhelming knowledge of God? It is this, God, I am a living sacrifice to you. God, use me today. Use me as a vessel for your honor and your glory. Use me today. You know me now. Use me today, God, for whatever task you have set before me. I would be wrong if I didn't end out this discussion this morning with a reference to the grand finale of all of Scriptures. The point of your entire Bible. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about one person. It is Jesus. Jesus Christ. So how does David close out verse 24? Lead me in the way everlasting. If you would make this connection with me to what Jesus Christ Himself says in John chapter 14. What does Jesus say? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Think with me to what Jesus says about himself, and a lot of times when we quote this very familiar verse, we don't realize it's actually Jesus saying this. John chapter 3, verse 16, what does Jesus say? He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. David's praying, lead me in the way everlasting. He's talking about this intense knowledge of God. And here's the point of the Scriptures. You cannot truly know God if you do not know His Son, Jesus Christ. When we go through the Scriptures, we realize that we can know God. And this is what He says in John 17. This is life eternal, that they might know me, the only true God. Might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. Knowledge of God for us comes as we embrace the person and work of Jesus Christ. This morning you're thinking, how can I embrace this passage? Psalm 139. Here's how you can embrace this passage right here, right now. By putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There may be some here that through the last 10 weeks you've doubted seriously this 
supposed relationship you've had with God through Christ, would I, I would like to invite you this morning. Put your faith and trust in Christ alone, by grace alone, today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And here's what we want to wrap our minds around. Brothers and sisters, friends, the one, catch this, the one who knows you best is the one who loves you most. We'll say that one more time. The one who knows you best is the one who loves you most. Jesus Christ loves you. God sent his son to die for you. Would you believe in him? If you have placed your faith in Christ for eternal life, would you daily be a living sacrifice for this amazing God? I'm talking about today, tomorrow. That self-centered nature that just wells up inside of us and flares up. Would you be a living sacrifice for this God, this holy God? Would you daily be a living sacrifice for this amazing God? Would you experience daily transformation from the comfort that this, God knows you personally. God knows you completely. God's knowledge of you should be overwhelming to you. This week, let us remember this. Through the unrest of the world around us, we must find security in the depths of God's knowledge about us. Next week, we're going to talk about His presence with us. I would encourage you to go ahead and read farther in Psalm 139 as we prepare our hearts. God, we thank You so much for the time we could spend studying Your Word and talking of it today, God. I pray that You would overwhelm us with Your knowledge of us. God, I don't want to even pretend to know what's happening in every one of our lives today. God, Your body... Cross Point Community Church here, the agony of hearts right now, the doubts, the confusion, the stress. I don't even come close to understanding it. But I pray today, Father, that we would run to You. You know everything perfectly well. Let this be a comfort to our souls that You know what we're going through right now. This morning, with, in this moment of prayer, with your eyes closed if you would like, or heads bowed, how, however you would like to pray. Kneeling, standing, sitting. Would you, this morning, do this? Thank God that He knows you perfectly well. right now with me thank God that he knows everything about you not one thing is hidden from God would you then with me as we close out the service this morning pray with Paul in Romans that we would be a living sacrifice to this God we would daily die to the self-centered nature of our flesh. We would daily live to the selflessness of Christ. There may be some here today that you listen to this, and I'm not going to belabor this this morning, but you said, you know, Andrew, a lot of that made sense, what you were talking about. And 
I appreciate that, but not all of it. Can I just assure you of this? It's not a mistake that you're here this morning. I want to assure you of this, that the one who knows you best is the one who loves you most. God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to be your substitute on the cross. My question is this, would today be the day when you would receive this gift of life from a gracious Savior? Today, would you come to Him in faith and repentance? If you have come to Him in faith and repentance, would you resolve with me this week to live in absolute awe and from the comfort of this amazing God? God, we are so thankful for your word, how true it is, how appropriate it is. And all of these words that were said today, God, I pray that our hearts would be drawn to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your love. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning with the music team and let us sing this song, Behold Our God, as we consider how amazing our